This episode of the Block Shots podcast is sponsored by Maple Block Capital. Maple Block Capital is a leading digital assets investment firm based out of Middle East and Asia. The firm has an impressive portfolio of over 100 blockchain projects. Maple Block Capital is a thesis-driven venture capital firm that focuses on all sectors of crypto and has a special interest in DeFi and infrastructure projects. You're listening to Blockshots, the latest media offering delivered to you by the CoinCode Cap team. So on our podcast today, we have Even Biliat. I hope I said this right, said that right this time from MVP Workshop joining us. MVP Workshop, as generic as it sounds, is an incredibly strong team that has bagged some of the best projects that have come up in the blockchain ecosystem, including Celsius and Matic. So we have Ivan today going to help us talk about their investment philosophy, how they work and what they do. So hi, Ivan. Uh, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Akash. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm always doing well. I have to, too many too many things to build in this space, so there is little time for rest. Right. So we've been chatting a little bit before uh, we started recording. But I forgot to ask you where you're based out of right now. So where where am I speak? Where are you speaking from right now? Uh, actually, Belgrade, Serbia. You know, Serbia is a, a pretty good hub when it comes to building uh, web-free projects. I think uh, whole of the Balkans is actually a pretty good uh, place to build a web-free company from. Uh, I've been also I've also been uh, building software from Belgrade for the last 20 something years and we did a number of global projects so we feel that uh, this is the the best place for 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 us to be both in terms of talent and uh, you know the the way of life that uh, we want to lead uh, Serbia is also uh, a neutral country you know we are actually not a part of EU although we are uh, we applied for membership, so to speak. Uh, but uh, as a neutral country, you know, between West and East, I also don't need a visa for Russia or China. And I also don't need, uh, uh, you know, a visa for any European countries. And I already have a business visa for the US. So I think, you know, being here in Belgrade is a very, very web free thing to do, you know, with. Uh, uh, being in this position where we are kind of in the middle of, of everything that's going on. Yeah, that's super interesting. Something I definitely did not know before. So thanks for sharing that. Um, okay, so, you know, I, I'm going to poke you a little bit about your background first. So can you talk a little bit about how you got into the Web 3.0 space in the first place? And especially, you know, on the incubation side of things, uh, yes, of course. Well, I've been building software for 20 plus years now. Uh, first 10 as a, a system engineer, th- these other 10 as a tech executive in different companies with different sizes of companies. And in our previous, uh, you know, company that was called Devana Technologies, where we had uh, a project called Manage WP. Uh, we, uh, that we actually sold to GoDaddy in 2016. And we were looking for uh, another, you know, way to 
a grow Devana as a company outside of managed WP because we felt we are very much tied to the WordPress ecosystem and uh, the entire WordPress space. We wanted to see uh, if the company might uh, have other opportunities too, uh, just in case that for whatever reason we need to leave, you know, WordPress and uh, uh, try uh, and start uh, again from scratch. So it was, it started off as kind of a safety measure for the company building an R&D department. And then one of the projects in this R&D department where our current CTO at MVP workshop was actually the one leading the project. Uh, there was this uh, idea of uh, building a decentralized email system. And we had that idea maybe in 2014, 15. And then in 2015, after, you know, uh, Ethereum ICO already happened and everything, we pretty much uh, discovered Ethereum and said, uh, let's try and build uh, an email system on top of it. So that email was called the Lemon email. You can still find it online. We open source completely. Uh, but the project was uh, a, a great learning experience although it was not a great commercial experience you know we basically launched an email on top of ethereum uh, in the early 2017 we did not have a token we did not want to do an ico we just wanted to use ethereum you know and ipfs to send emails and what happened was that we ended up um, very soon with uh, the the world's most expensive email service you know <laughs> yeah because uh, we used gas to send emails you know and uh, mm -hmm. in 2016 actually gavin wood he was uh, still uh, i think with the ethereum foundation back then he sent us 20 eaters mm -hmm. 20,000 eaters sorry to uh, as uh, as a grant for this email and uh, so you know there, there are these uh, these stories about uh, the you know uh, the Bitcoin pizza guy, you know, how he bought uh, two uh -huh. pizzas for, for Bitcoins and everything. We are probably the guys who, you know, spent 20,000 uh, eaters sending emails back then. So <laughs> about $6 million in email, if you look at it from today's perspective. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, obviously the, the project didn't work out uh, as, a, as a good move, you know, in financial terms, but it was probably... Uh, the best uh, move for myself privately, Malisha and my co-founders, because later after, as I said, we sold the previous venture, you know, to uh, GoDaddy together with my friend uh, Vladimir Prelovac, who actually started and led that company. Uh, we, we were left with this uh, knowledge of uh, working in the web-free space and uh, building, you know, stuff on... Uh, uh, public uh, public fault tolerance uh, fault tolerance systems such as blockchain and we were pretty much blockchain agnostic although we loved ethereum as our starting point mm -hmm. uh, so we decided to see how we can uh, where we can go from there basically and uh, that summer celsius actually approached us they asked us uh, to help them with their technical paper and uh, to see if we can uh, work together on building uh, uh, the first version of Celsius. And mm -hmm. that's how we started working actually together with them. In, uh, in late 2017, we've been working for Celsius for close to five years now. 
and they actually bought the part the part of the company developing their own product. Uh, outside of that, I think also Lemon was uh, our a- entry, you know, into layer two solutions too, because that's how we started actually thinking about uh, ways to scale Ethereum and other blockchains. And uh, that is something that we, in 2019, started working together with with our friend Mihailo. Mihailo Bielic, he later actually joined the Matic team as uh, a co-founder and they rebranded uh, to Polygon, which is, you know, like his stealth startup that we helped yeah. kind of incubate and build a number of proof of concepts for. So right now we are also very involved with uh, the Polygon team, you know, and uh, we are actually the ones building Polygon Edge, which is uh, their uh, own own solution for you to spawn up your own mm-hmm. Ethereum-like uh, blockchain. And with your own plug-and-play consensus and networking, it's also EVM-based, like most of the things that we did. Right. And uh, outside of that, yeah, we built uh, around 50 different uh, blockchain projects, either for us uh, or for uh, clients. And uh, a number of these, uh, these you know, uh, project is, uh, projects are still used. And, uh, of course, Celsius and Polygon are multi-billion dollar companies that we, in some manner, right. help so, create. So, Ivan, did you, uh, once you, you know, got familiar with the whole Ethereum, I mean, I wouldn't say Web 3.0 because that wasn't a term back then, I believe. It was just Ethereum. So, you know, did you get started with Ethereum and decided to, you know, run a consultancy that then eventually turned into an incubation uh, incubation builder, work, uh, venture builder, or was venture builder the original model that you guys started with right away? I would say it was uh, our desire to start uh, off uh, with, as a classical venture builder, but we had two problems. Uh, one problem was that we realized that we do not have enough capital to act uh, as a VC and to bring in uh, people from the outside to build stuff and then just, uh, you know, provide them with investments mm. and uh, developers and everything. We we were, you know, we were not really poor, you know, we already had successful businesses in, in the past, but we, we felt that the space is too broad for us to to do that. So we tried to create some sort of a hybrid, you know, we have a department in the company that we are heavily investing in long term, that is a sort of an R&D department, it's called 3327, you can see what it does on 3327.io. And that department uh, is building some sort of an internal web free technology radar. So uh, if I don't know if you know about this concept of a uh, tech radar, but it's something that was I think created by a company called Fortworks. They basically said that uh, you can uh, divide the different types of technologies by type and also by maturity. So uh, if you look at it from an external standpoint, you have uh, technologies that should be tried out. You have those that should be closely assessed, those that should be adopted in your uh, organizations and those that you should just hold and profit from. So in, in this R&D department, we basically keep reinvesting all the time and we are basically looking at pre-competitive technologies that are one to five years away from monetization. Right. right. And uh, we don't know how far off they are. 
Mm-hmm. But we basically want to be, we, we, uh, we always want to be that venture builder company that understands a technology before everyone else. Mm-hmm. So we are sort of trying to be in this position where our competitive advantage is not that we are a richer, uh, more experienced uh, venture builder in terms of, you know, like business space and access to people. We are basically something like an R&D unit and uh, a learning and training environment for people who want to get into these new technologies such as blockchain and web free. And then we also offer them a framework. How uh, how do we spin out uh, a company together with them? You know, I think we are kind of uh, unique also that pretty much all of the ventures that came out of our venture builder started off uh, founded by our own employees. It's not, uh, we, we have uh, a number of cases where together with clients we worked with, you know, we worked for some sort of mix between cash and equity, you know, so we do have, have some equity in some of our client projects, but uh, the ventures that uh, came came out as like zero to one from MVP mm-hmm. were mostly actually founded by, uh, by former employees, you know, so I think that's uh, uh, kind of unique to, to what we, we are trying to do because uh, we take you on as an employee, but by the end of the process, we also want to have you as a potential co-founder for for one of the projects that we are seeing right in, in so, this space so i mean i understand that you know you started with the venture builder model quite early in the space uh way earlier than most uh funds i'd say were even aware that crypto was a thing so i am assuming you have a very long term and a high conviction thesis on the space so can you talk a little bit about within the space once you have developed conviction that you know blockchain technology is something that's going to take off how do you spot you know ideas that are worth uh you know spending your time on or helping the employees that are working on those particular ideas that okay these are the ones that we should align ourselves more with because this is the bet that can take off and we have proof you have already delivered some solid companies out of your uh you know out of your workshop but then how do you sort of think about the what framework do you apply to think about you know what ideas will take off yeah so what we try to do is you know we try to merge like uh, the pool of employees with the pool of ideas and uh, those are two kind of separate pools in some cases, although uh, employees do contribute to the idea pool. Uh, so what does that actually mean? You, usually uh, people that come for the, the, to work for us, you know, uh, come as Web2 engineers or product managers or designers, and they uh, start learning uh, by doing uh, either grants or client work or, some, or, ju- or just working on some of our own projects as uh, basically, you know, like classical employees doing mm-hmm. their daily tasks and they're learning about uh, Web3 as such. We have a small internal academy program that at some point we are probably going to make public where we teach them more about Web3, but also at some point after they, they have been with us for about six months, uh, we let them uh, attend uh, also like a business academy inside of the company and after that they can spend 20 percent of their time uh, working on business ideas that we already put in in the pool they can uh, 
add comments or these existing ideas, they can add a new idea, etc, etc. And we also uh, populate that pool with uh, something else too. And that is a list of the tech that we assess in our R&D unit. So usually when we are assessing a technology, we say, okay, this is, uh, these are the good sides of this technology, this technology, and these are also the use cases that we uh, might see it uh, be used for. And when we are talking about uh, a use case, either in the R&D center or together with our employees, we are also saying, you know, this is why it might be too early or why this use case might not work. So the idea is, uh, I'll try to put it like this, you know, when we started working on Celsius Mm -hmm. uh, in... uh, 20, in 2017, you know, uh, there were some parts of Celsius that uh, look uh, looked more like uh, how Avalanche actually looks today. But in 2017, you know, working with Alex, Nuke, and all of these guys, we realized together that uh, there is this centralized component which made, you know, Celsius a C5 pioneer that uh, basically said, okay, both sides of the market are not yet ready. So we cannot build a finger like Avalanche in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to have a centralized component that, uh, you know, is also a centralized entity that can work together with the institutional investors, but also can regulate, uh, you know, uh, how, how Celsius does business. But then in 2019, 2020, you know, you basically uh, had uh, Avalanche come out because now there was a market. So, uh, in a way, Celsius or us, uh, everyone who was involved also had the tools and the, the knowledge and the idea to build Avalanche, you know, uh, even in 2017 when they had this other project, Avalanche used to be called Eatland, you know, and they used to do it in a bit of a different way. But uh, we felt that the market was just not ready for that. So what now we are trying to do is we try to say, okay, uh, this is an idea and it's already, and we know it's uh, too early, but we are going to flag it somehow. We are going to say, okay, what we are missing uh, to actually have a mature market. And that's probably the number of users, uh, the number of users in DeFi or uh, the number of users using uh, Polygon as their main chain for transactions, and we add these attributes. Uh, I'm sorry, I was metadata. I need to yeah? just clarify one thing. So, did you say Avalanche, the blockchain, or do you mean like Aave, the which was Ethereum? The my, my, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I moved to Aave for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I was right. thinking uh, of Avalanche because actually we just. Uh, two days ago, we, we launched one of our projects, uh, Tesseract, uh, on uh, on Avalanche. Uh, you know, we built it as a friendly fork of Yearn on Polygon, and we just launched Avalanche, and mm-hmm. that was in my thoughts all the time. Yeah, I meant Avalanche. No problem. I think yeah, this, uh, I got a bit confused and thought it might be. No, no, no. Just... You're right. You know, it's bad. It's good that you mentioned it because I would uh, keep uh, keep uh, speaking about um, Avalanche instead of Ave. But yeah, uh, so everyone else would get confused. Yeah, yeah. We basically had this idea about uh, building Ave before Ave. You know, and uh, what I was trying to say here is that uh, pretty much at some point. Two, three years later, you know, the market conditions changed and it was possible for us to launch 
a new project that would actually work like like Ave. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't do it because we were, you know, uh, working uh, very hard on Celsius and all of these other principles. And uh, now we have Ave as uh, an amazing competitor to what Celsius is doing. But uh, in a way, we could have had a chance to be behind uh, both companies, you know, or uh, right. behind uh, another company such as as Ave, or that could be an extension of Celsius if Celsius wanted it. But the reason why we didn't uh, realize that at the time and uh, why we didn't do it was that uh, we had the knowledge inside of the company, but we didn't have a, a proper way to manage that knowledge, you know, like three years ago. And so what uh, what uh, we are doing now is we are basically adding metadata to these ideas, as I said, that uh, there are certain market conditions that need to be met in mm-hmm. order for idea to make sense. And then uh, we basically try to monitor that. And uh, every couple of months we do a reassessment of all of the ideas in our pool and we say, okay, this is an idea we had two years ago. This is the research behind it. And it seems that the market conditions are now met. Right. Uh, we are going to create a team to work on it uh, from inside the company. We are going to create a new SPV company, you know, behind that team. And we are going to give the team equity, etc., etc. And uh, we are going to, at that point, invest into this, this idea. Right. So... Uh, Ivan, let me ask you this, right? Like back in 2017, when you guys were working on things like Matic or, I mean, Polygon or Celsius. Yeah, or something Matic, like yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Matic and Polygon came, came later. Yeah, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, in 2017 for us, it was, it was Polygon. It was, uh, sorry, Celsius and it was a couple of other smaller clients. Right, right. Uh, so, you, yeah. so back when you guys were doing that, the overall crypto market condition was very different from what it is now, right? So in conditions like we have today, when things are so frothy, uh, companies are raising money every week, like tens and 20 companies are raising money every week, new and new consumer apps are being developed, based on hype alone, companies are reaching like billions of dollars in valuation, no real use case, no utility. How do you guys navigate such markets in terms of, you know, where true alpha is, or in your case, you know, uh, where there are opportunities to which you can apply your resources and build things out? Because I'm assuming like in your case, Unlike a venture builder, you're not just deploying capital, you're also deploying human resource, right? And time. Yeah. So how do you sort of navigate uh, markets like these when everything is like so hyped up, so pumped up? How do you separate noise from like things that actually make sense? We use uh, that uh, tech radar that I mentioned uh, for that. Uh, I think the main idea for us in that regard is uh, what knowledge do we actually want to gain, nurture and keep, and not uh, just if we can get uh, good money from using the tech for the next one or two years. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. You know, uh, we believe that EVM became the de facto standard. We uh, do believe a lot uh, in, in a lot of things that uh, Ethereum uh, Pol- and uh, Polygon with Ethereum uh, are doing, but we also like what is happening in like the Polkadot ecosystem, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
we are still assessing how deep do we want to go into some other texts like uh, Cardano, etc. Because we feel that Haskell uh, is maybe not yet the tech that we want to have a, a big team dedicated to, you know, and it's very hard to teach people functional programming in Haskell, etc. So we are still assessing that as an opportunity and uh, we have a couple of people in the company working uh, in Ada Cardano, you know, like uh, working on uh, on Haskell, uh, learning how, how you know, to best uh, utilize what Ada is trying to do. But we do not feel like we are fully committed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reasoning uh, behind uh, these, this kind of approach, uh, you know, is that we are basically focused on optimized, uh, on optimized innovation and uh, it takes quite a long time for us to move uh, technology into this whole, uh, into this whole uh, part of the tech radar and say we just need to scale the teams. Uh, you know, working on this. So today, if you tell me, uh, right now, today, I think if you gave me 50 Solidity developers and uh, 50 people, you know, working uh, with Haskell or in Cardano ecosystem, I could I could just hire all of them and uh, have uh, a lot of work for everyone to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, I would still probably like hesitate to ha- hire the Haskell guys because I'm not sure if it within two years or something I, I might need to fire them or to move them to other projects. Yeah, and uh, this is you know the the way that we, as I said, try to optimize over time. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the North Star, I think that uh, the North Star for MVP workshop and uh, the tech uh, that. Uh, uh, we are basically building is pretty much the same. You know, we feel that uh, the future of the internet has to be uh, a fault-tolerant system that all, also uh, is uh, completely public and decentralized, and uh, that uh, because of that, uh, because of that, we will definitely have uh, some sort of a cryptocurrency or multiple cryptocurrencies uh, as a part of that uh, ecosystem. Because without, uh, uh, you know, crypto, these systems cannot be tr- truly decentralized and public. Uh, yeah. And uh, on the other hand, we also believe that this means that uh, you will have a payment system, you know, uh, that can also I- issue different p- uh, financial primitives uh, mm-hmm. as a part of this core technology. And uh, we want to create an organization that uh, holds maximum of possible knowledge about building these type of systems. How right. exactly will we monetize that knowledge over time? How are we going to figure out the ways, you know, to work as a, as a venture builder company in order to, uh, how would they say, or to outperform uh, classical VC approach or to, you know, even outperform the crypto market itself, you know, is uh, uh, another thing. But, uh, but yeah, I would say that uh, that is like the essence of, of everything mm-hmm. we are doing. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So like on that note, uh, I, w- I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, some areas of interest, special interest to you and MVP workshop right now. So, I mean, there's a lot of talk around uh, many new concepts, a lot of which have 
been coined and created just this year and now companies are sort of building in those directions metaverse daos a bunch of things defi 2.0 so what are some of those uh, you know niches that have emerged recently that you guys are interested in or maybe already started working on internally or are planning to you know uh, start working on well i think the the main point of interest right now for us um, in terms of uh, adding more and more uh, new people and new tech to to the company is around zero knowledge proofs right in in general yeah we uh, about a year ago we started hiring more and more mathematicians you know not just developers uh, and we had a couple of use cases where we have been in, uh, involved, we feel that uh, this, uh, you know, layer one, layer two, two thing that is happening right now and different approaches to it are the crucial part of uh, having uh, blockchain as uh, an inter- integral part of several industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for for some of them, it's already there, like uh, for everything that's involving creator economy and. Uh, and fintech but uh, you know th- there is also uh, this uh, huge uh, shift that i would expect to happen in the next couple of years when we will uh, have more and more uh, supply chains and more and more uh, be the digital or real life supply chains we are probably going to see see them more automated mm-hmm. which uh, uh, when it happens uh, will require uh, basically a transaction layer of some sort also and i think blockchain is uh, the best route to go there i'm not a big uh, believer in uh, private uh, blockchains or uh, you know like consortium uh, mm-hmm. networks in a way i think that they do not have uh, a long term fu- uh, you know future uh, i think uh, it's going to have to be tied to uh, public uh, fault tolerant systems on the internet and uh, we can discuss that also in terms of why do i believe that but uh, considering that uh, i see that as a future you know that is going to happen in the next five to ten years i think uh, if we are dealing with pre-competitive tech right now you know being a part of uh, zero knowledge proofs right now is uh, very important because uh, they are the primary enabler outside of blockchain uh, for for us to actually have uh, like fully digital supply chains of any sort right i think uh i think a way to think about it and correct me if i'm wrong here is that while blockchain does the bft thing allows you to you know uh, generate consensus in a decentralized manner and do uh you know validate transactions and such zk tech is what it's what is like most people are betting on in terms of scaling the speed of what blockchain does right so that's the core value proposition of zk zk proofs right well if you look at it uh, you know from these two perspectives i think that uh, there is uh, first the thing that uh, distributed you know uh, databases that distributed transactional transactional databases are like 60 years old or something Mm-hmm. It's not that we didn't have them before, you know, it's not that we did not, not have, uh, uh, you know, uh, people putting uh, uh, putting information in the ledgers and using computers and databases for that. 
mm-hmm. it's actually very old technology you know also if you look at it you know like uh, you have works about uh putting uh, you know uh, this data into cryptographic blocks uh, uh, and uh, moving them around uh, and it's it was actually even called blockchain i'll send you the link later if uh, if you don't have it but uh like in the early 90s so if you look at it from that way all of the tech behind uh, stuff like uh, hyperledger fabric etc with their ordering mechanisms etc exists you know for like 30 to 60 years mm-hmm. the thing that is uh, uh, that is new and that started like uh, you know 12 13 years ago with uh, with bitcoin is actually this idea that we can move these type of systems to the open network and uh, to uh, you know to 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 the public internet and i i don't think uh, that uh, you can have any substitute for that approach doing these things over public internet but the problem is with with that approach is also the reason why uh, these technologies uh, were replaced in the past and that is that uh, uh, having a, a transactional distributed database is probably the most expensive way for you to have a database anyway you know in terms of resources not just for proof of work, but also, you know, in anything in terms of storage, in terms of uh, time, uh, you know, to get uh, to some information, etc., etc. So uh, this is how, how we started, you know, thinking about it, you know, when we also got into layer tools, you know, that you want to uh, to have a separate verification and execution layer in, in certain ways. And... Uh, there are uh, different uh, ways uh, you can uh, basically achieve that and still uh, have a safe system uh, which is also protecting other people's data and uh, i think you know whatever approach you try to uh, to to do for that uh, zero knowledge proofs are an extremely uh, big part of it right so can you can you explain like on a very basic level as to where ZK proofs fit into what you just described? Well, uh, you know, if uh, you want to uh, to have companies uh, share data on the public network, uh, you uh, do not want them to be forced to share the content of that data. So you basically need uh, applied mathematics and cryptography to secure the data being shared. And if you remove uh, the data itself, uh, you know, from this uh, main layer where everyone is transacting, you also have to have tools to verify that the data, uh, you know, uh, being placed in, in other areas and places is actually correct. So uh, if you want to have these permissionless systems that can allow companies to opt in or opt out and to work together in certain areas with, uh, uh, without sharing their own data in uh, a, a way that might affect their business. I think, you know, ZK or, or all of these theories about, and applications, not just theories about, uh, uh, you know, having ways to prove something with statistical truth in, instead of, uh, just uh, putting it uh, out there publicly for everyone to verify are probably the only way to uh, 
have uh, people collaborate with, without uh, jeopardizing their business model and such. Mm-hmm. Right. So bringing the conversation back a little bit to, you know, MVP workshop, venture building and in general building in crypto. Um, uh, and and I, I would say, you know, this is probably like my last question to you uh, for, for the episode today is that, can you explain how things have changed in terms of, you know, accessibility to new entrants into the building side of things from back when you guys started to now? Has it become easier? Because personally, what I find uh, when entering the crypto ecosystem is, is, you know, there's just too much information, too many blockchains, too many technologies to just know about even on the most basic level to have any understanding of what I'm doing. So... And do you have a perspective on uh, the changes in that? Well, look, it's uh, definitely a lot better than what it used to be. I mm-hmm. remember that uh, in 2015, when we first, you know, wanted to buy Ethereum uh, in order to work with uh, our email that I mentioned, we actually right. had to, uh, we had to, uh, you know, uh, go into some video game which was like an rpg and then buy uh, buy subscriptions to it and then we had to sell those subscriptions to someone for ether and then uh, you know we could use that ether to build a product etc etc so the in 2015 you know it was not uh, as easy you know to get ether and to transact like uh, with a with a classical exchange such as today etc and it was like exchanges and it was harder on in, in regulatory terms and everything for us to send uh, uh, you know uh, to send uh, actually money from the company to get something like, like that here in Serbia and it was similar to onboarding people you know? I, I remember in 2015 when we were looking for people to come and build in ethereum ecosystem we had to actually uh you know commit a lot of time to convince some developers to start uh, uh you know learning about blockchain etc just because uh, it was uh, a very new tech and uh, it was uh, very unclear to them is the tech itself going to uh to last you know and uh, is decentralization actually good enough uh, incentive for the tech to become valuable and for them to to learn it this early on and now the the that obviously changed i don't think anyone is questioning uh, anything like that anymore we do not uh, have problems access, accessing funds you know crypto salaries and web uh, free you know people are um, you know they're they're getting paid well you know so there is um, uh, more of a situation how do you move uh, uh people from web 2 to web 3 uh, the, uh then it's uh, about uh, why do they, they want to move in the first place which was the, the main topic like five six seven years ago mm-hmm. and uh, today when everyone wants to move the big problem is as you said uh, crypto is uh, still pretty young and uh, we are still figuring out a lot of problems about how do we actually scale the tech, uh, how do you apply it to different use cases. So because we are still in this 
R&D hacking and building mode in crypto, there is very little standardization. And I think that's probably going to be the case for the next five or 10 years. You know, there are some de facto standards that, uh, you know, are here. Like, uh, as I said, you know, I, I personally considered, consider Ethereum virtual machine to be the, the de facto standard, you know, for, for a lot of things, which is also one of the reasons Ethereum is probably going to uh, be one of the the biggest ecosystems, if not the biggest one for the long term. Mm-hmm. But uh, but outside of the EVM and uh, a couple of other things, I think there are still too many moving parts. If uh, you want to become a part of Web3 right now, you have to understand that uh, everything you are learning today is probably going to change tomorrow and uh, that uh, this will probably come with uh, certain benefits that come from entering, you know, technologies in their early stages. You know, it is painful for the first couple of years, you know, but after that, uh, you are uh, one of the pioneers of of something great and uh, that uh, has uh, this, uh, you know, tendency to give you a lot of uh, advantages and even financial rewards but they Mm -hmm. they're usually a bit delayed yeah no that makes complete sense i think uh even though it's been some time 2017 to now i think still it's pretty early in general and onboarding is still pretty difficult even though yes buying ethereum has become much more simpler and easy (laughs) but outside that yeah crypto is still pretty wild so yeah, thanks, thanks Ivan for joining us today on the podcast and sharing your thoughts on a number of things, including what you do and the things you guys have accomplished so far. Uh, great chat and got to learn a lot from you. Uh, thank you for having me, you know, and uh, anytime uh, when you, you you need to speak about something or if you need some help when it comes to venture building, let me know and uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah, that's that's actually very helpful in case, you know, you want to tell people how they can reach you in, in case, you know, they have some idea that they would like to execute on but don't have a clue and feel like a venture builder might help. So how can they reach out to you? Yeah, well, uh, we can probably put uh, some uh, uh, link to my uh, email or to, or to you know, uh, uh, or, or to uh, our website in uh, in the details. No, no, you, know, you can just describe it verbally, you uh-huh. know, uh, here. And... Ah, okay, yeah. Well, uh, look, we we are we do not have uh, any uh, official process in terms uh, like having cohorts when we accept new startups. You know, you can just come to mvpworkshop.co or .dot com, mm-hmm. whichever it leads to the same website. Uh, and uh, just uh, fill out the form and uh, let us know about a bit more about your idea. We'll probably, uh, you know, uh, we'll get back to you with a couple of additional questions, set up some to- sort of a call where we will probably try to tell you that uh, there are a couple of problems with the idea that we see. And uh, uh, if you survive that and still want to work with us after we insulted your thought process <laughs> or whatever you know then uh, then we, we will probably arrange some sort of next steps 
to see how do we best, you know, uh, help you out or at least point you in the right directions in terms of resources or other similar projects, etc., etc. Awesome, we yeah. have a tendency, yeah, we have a tendency to do at least a couple of these calls per week. So, uh, so you know, in general, we are probably going to give feedback uh, about any well thought out idea that we receive over email. And, uh, you know, we, we love uh, connecting and uh, being uh, uh, around people as much as possible. The other way to do it uh, is actually guys from our Trapezis team are currently at ETH Denver. So if you are at ETH Denver for whatever le- reason, just uh, find Lazar and Buxan from Trapezis. They are the guys actually building Polygon Edge. And, uh, you know... Uh, let uh, say hi to them and they'll tell you a bit more about their experience at the company. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's super helpful for anyone wanting to get to this. I don't think that people would be able to, you know, see this by the time Eat Denver is still running. I think it ends uh, in two, three days, yeah. right? But yeah, regardless, you know, you can contact even through their email and their website and that should be enough right so yeah thanks again for joining me today on the podcast and thank you for sharing your thoughts thank you again akash and uh, bye until next time